This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Good morning, Johannesburg, South Africa, Christian Family Church. Give yourselves a great big praise God hand clap for being in church today. Praise the Lord. And all of you in the, in the overflow rooms watching with the families, welcome. Give yourselves a big hand there too. Praise the Lord. All right. We have an exciting message series for us today. Beginning part one, time to refresh our faith. Time to refresh our faith. Let's go to Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Now the next day, when they came out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was staying in Bethany for the night. He was staying with Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. He was a personal friend and had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Bethany was on the east side of the city of Jerusalem, about a mile and a half from the city. Approaching Jerusalem, he had arrived on the Mount of Olives and looked down onto the Kidron Valley. On the other side was another hill called Mount Moriah. You can see from the picture you're looking at that the Mount of Olives is on the east side or the right-hand side of your picture. And Jesus would arrive there from Bethany and be standing on that hill. And then he would be looking down through the Kidron Valley. Now in front of you, you'll see the Kidron Valley words written down there. That valley runs all the way along in front of the wall that you see going around the old city of Jerusalem. And then the city is actually built on a mount called Mount Moriah. On Mount Moriah was the temple of King Herod. You can see the temple there, that big uh, rectangular wall around the temple of Herod. And that's the exact place that the original temple of Solomon was built, uh, which was destroyed some years later. And then Herod built his temple there. Now, Herod excavated, uh, maybe I'll get back to that in a minute, but let me just say this. Mount Moriah is a place where God told Abraham to offer Isaac. Many, many years before, Abraham was called out of Ur the Chaldeans, Mesopotamia, by God, and then uh, he was told to go to uh, Canaan, but he stopped at a place called Horan for several years, and then after those years, he moved on to Canaan. And he came to this very spot here now that you're looking at, and God told him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, on Mount Moriah, on the very spot that Jesus would be crucified many years later. Now, of course, Abraham might or might not have realized that. 
But as he was about to kill his son, God stopped him and gave him an animal to slay instead. God had to do that because if Abraham was not willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, then God would not be able to sacrifice his son Jesus. Because God made a, a covenant with Abraham which gave him the legal right to bring Jesus to the earth. And the full story of that covenant is in my book titled The Blood Covenant. I'd encourage you to get it. You'll love reading it. Okay, back to our story. So, Mount Moriah is the place where Jesus was crucified. Mount Moriah is about two miles long, maybe three miles, and it runs north and south. It runs north and south. The north side is at the top of the picture. The south side is at the bottom. And uh, at the top, you'll see where Jesus was crucified on the north side of Mount Moriah. You'll see three little crosses up there uh, above the Temple of Herod at the very edge of the city. Now, that is the road that leads to Damascus, actually. And Herod excavated part of Mount Moriah, the north side of it, and took that beautiful white limestone and built the temple of Herod with it. And um, on the face of the rock where they excavated was left the picture of a skull. They never realized it. It wasn't intentional. But it was a very famous place, the skull. And at the foot of the skull, uh, a few meters down, on the next to the road where the uh, which went to, to um, Damascus, that's where they crucified. The Romans crucified the, uh, the convicted there, at the, below the skull on the road, next to the road that leads to Damascus. And Jesus was crucified there on Mount Moriah, but it wasn't a hill. It was a flat road. It was a flat area. Um, the hill... Mount Moriah was on Mount Moriah, but it was excavated, so the skull was on the rock, which is also part of Mount Moriah. And close to that, maybe 200 meters, was the garden tomb and the, the well of Joseph of Arimathea. So anyway, um, all that is in the close proximity, you see. Now... Right at the south end was the city of David. On the edge of this little Mount Moriah was the city of David, built all around the temple of Herod. Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he used to pray. An olive grove was there, and there were fig trees there. Jesus was looking over the Kidron Valley at the temple of Herod, which he was now approaching while he was walking. He was going to preach the people in that area. All right, let's go to Mark 11, verse 13. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, Jesus went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to the fig tree, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. 
And people said, why would Jesus be looking for figs on a fig tree when it wasn't the season for figs? In that part of the, 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 the country, if a fig tree had leaves, it automatically had figs. So this was a non, a not productive tree, a non-productive tree. And Jesus spoke to the tree in verse 14, and he said, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. His disciples heard it. Somebody said, well, he thought it. No, he spoke to the tree because the Bible clearly says his disciples heard it, right? Jesus uses faith by speaking to this tree. And that is something we can do. We can do exactly the same thing the same way in every circumstance we face that's adverse. We can speak to it just like Jesus spoke to the tree. Verse 15 says, so they came to Jerusalem. So after speaking to the tree, he went into the city to preach. I'd like to push pause there for a minute and just tell you this, that Jesus went to the fig tree to see if it had any figs. So if he was operating in his deity as God, he would know there was no figs on that tree, correct? That's evidence that he was not. He obviously had laid aside his godly ability and he was operating as a man on the earth. Okay. Verse 19, please. When evening had come, Jesus went out of the city. So, in the evening, he left the city, went back to Bethany. The following morning, he made the same journey he had made the day before. Back from Bethany, from the house where he was staying with Lazarus, to the city of Jerusalem. And he came to Mount of Olives, and they passed by the very fig tree he had spoken to the day before. And Peter stopped everyone and mentioned, Lord, look at this tree. Verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dry up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So remember, Jesus said, no one eat fruit from you again, and now it's withered. Peter said, Lord, you cursed the tree, and now it's withered. So Jesus answered and said to them, I didn't curse the tree, I just spoke to it. No, that's not what he said. Jesus answered and said to them, in verse 22, have faith in God. The Lord did not correct Peter because, in fact, Jesus did curse the fig tree. He said, let no one eat fruit from you here ever again. That's a curse. People don't realize it, but, and they do it all the time. You hear folks saying about their children. They'll never be clever because my wife and I weren't clever at school, so my kids are going to be dumb. Now, that's a curse. We don't do well in sports. We never did. My wife didn't do well in sports. I didn't do well in sports. And therefore, my kids will be silly and they'll never do well in sports. That's a curse. I don't have an ounce of music in me, nor does my wife. I'm sure my kids won't either. That's a curse. 
those people who say things like that might as well take their kids down to the local witch doctor and say, would you curse my kids? Curse their intelligence. Curse their intelligence. Curse their music ability. Curse their sports ability. Because the Bible calls that a curse. We need to wise up about this family and realize speaking doubt, speaking unbelief over circumstances and people and our marriage or our business or our finances is a curse they are placing on these things or people. All right, let's go back to Mark 11, 22. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Right after speaking to the tree and they saw it had withered. Jesus was saying to his followers, I used faith and I'm saying to you, you need to have the same faith. The faith in God that I had, you can have as well. And you can speak like I did and it worked for you. Now the Royal New Testament says it this way, Mark eleven twenty two. And Jesus answering said to them, have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. That's the way the new, the Royal New Testament puts it. Or the margin of my Bible says, have the God kind of faith. Have the God kind of faith. Jesus is telling his disciples, I use this God kind of faith and so can you. And so he's telling us the same thing, family. Jesus goes on to explain how this God kind of faith works in the very next verse, Mark eleven twenty three. He says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. All right, let's... Look at that verse. Let's massage it a little bit. Jesus said, whoever says. That means Christian or non-Christian. Good person or bad. Person who makes mistakes or person who never makes mistakes. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart. Mustn't doubt in his heart. Didn't say anything about doubting in his head. But believes that those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. So Jesus is saying if we believe in our words, our words will come to pass. Whether they're good words or bad words, you'll have whatever you say. So if you curse your life and believe it's going to happen by saying negative things about yourself and your future, it's going to happen. I'll never amount to anything. I'll never do this. I'll never be able to do that. I'm just a failure. I'm no good. I'll never make money. Everything, whenever, I, whenever I make some money, I'll lose it. I'll lose everything I ever find. My wife and I always argue, we'll never have peace in this house. All those things, family, when we say that and believe it at the time, we say it, it comes to pass. We're giving Satan the right and the authority to make that happen in our lives. We are, our biggest problem is one inch below our nose. We need to straighten out our words if we're going to have any kind of decent life. Amen? That's what Jesus said. I didn't say that. He said it. The Lord Jesus said we must not doubt in the heart. If we're going to speak faith words and expect faith results and good things to happen, 
we've got to believe the words and we've got to believe them in the heart. Now, sometimes we'll say something positive because we know it's the right thing to say. We, we're trying to believe it. That's fine. Just keep saying it. You will believe it after a while. And you might have doubt in your head. That's okay. doesn't matter. You know, you know that you're in faith because the words will give you away. Your words will give you away. You can tell right away if a person's in faith or not by what he says. Because the Bible said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's in the heart will come out the mouth. So if you believe you're going to be successful, you'll speak words that are positive. And that's the evidence that your heart's in faith. Your head might doubt that, but your words will be the evidence of what's in the heart. So, He did not say we may not doubt in our thinking. He said we may not doubt in the heart. For faith to work, we must believe the words we say with the heart. Now, whoever says will have whatever he says if he believes what he says. This works for people who love God, and it works for people who hate God. It works for whoever. Jesus said whoever says will have whatever he says if he believes what he says. So sometimes good Godly Christians say the wrong thing long enough until they believe it, and then bad things happen to good people. On the other hand, I've heard bad people say positive things are coming their way, and they do, and they do. And Christians stand all and wonder how come bad people are blessed with finances and success and they're bad, <laughs> it's because of what they say. It's what they say. It's not a mystery. Listen to their words. The Lord gave us a clue of how that works 2,000 years ago. Say this, please. I will have what I say if I believe what I say. And if I say it long enough, I'll believe what I'm saying, and then it will come to pass. Okay. What mountain was Jesus talking about? He was probably standing on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Kedron Valley and Mount Moriah and the temple on the other side. Now, on the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed, and the olive grove, where the Lord Jesus would go and pray with his disciples. All that is on the Mount of Olives. So when he said, whoever says this mountain, most likely he's talking about the one he was standing on, this mountain I'm standing on. He said, if any man says to this mountain, be removed and cast and seen, doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come to pass and have whatever he says. In other words, if you say Mount of Olives, be cast in the sea, it'll happen, if you believe it. Now, I know it's not an easy thing to believe, but it can be done. Because remember, Joshua spoke the sun and the moon and commanded to stand still, right, in Joshua chapter 10. And it stood still for almost 24 hours. 
So if Joshua could do that, the sun and the moon, then we could move the mountain. And remember, Moses parted the Red Sea. And Elijah parted the River Jordan. So it can be done if you have the faith. However, that mountain, I believe, was used by the Lord to represent problems in our life. It was a type, an example for us to understand he's talking about problems in our life so that we can speak to them as if it were a mountain and command it to be cast into the sea or disappear or, or leave or change or stop or be removed. It does not matter if you are extremely rich, poor, sick, healthy, a blessed family or a family being torn apart by the devil. If you apply this principle to your circumstance, those circumstances will change. That's what Jesus said. We are to speak to the problems of life and tell them what we want them to do. Don't just talk about the problem. It'll get bigger. If you talk about the mountain, it'll grow. If you talk to the mountain, it'll go. Amen. Praise God. Does not matter what the circumstance is. We all need to know these principles. We're all part of a kingdom where Jesus is king. We're all part of a kingdom where Jesus is king. And it is sad that so many people who are in the kingdom don't know the rules of the kingdom and how the kingdom works. They know about the king, all right, but they don't know how his principles work. Jesus did not say, I want you to charge the mountain with a pick and with a shovel and take 10 years to remove it. He didn't say that. He didn't say charge it physically with a pick and a shovel or a grader or a tractor of some kind. He said, speak to it. In other words, don't try and deal with your problems in your own strength and ability and all your own resources without speaking to it first. Please, speak to it first. Most people, unfortunately, just charge at their mountain with all the natural resources to try and fix the problem. They depend on their intelligence, they depend on their bank balance, their finances, their education, their friends, whatever they've got to help them, their doctors, their lawyers. They neglect one thing, and that is to speak to the mountain first. Speak to the mountain before you act. A great example of that is David. David used his sling, all right, but his words of faith was the real reason he conquered Goliath. His words that he spoke. David slang his sling, but he said before that, before he slang with that slang that, before he slung that stone with his sling, he said, "This day, the Lord will give you into my hands." It was the words of faith that David spoke, trusting in God, that allowed God to take the stone and strike Goliath with the, with the stone on his forehead. So, we speak to our mountains. We're not to speak about our mountains. There's a big difference. 
Please say this with me. If I talk about my problem, it'll grow. If I talk to my problem, it'll go. Jesus told us to speak to our mountains with our words of faith. Then and then only can God act. Say this, God cannot do more for me than my words of faith allow him to do. Again, God cannot do more for me than my words of faith allow him to do. All right. How to use our faith as seen in the life of Abraham. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. See that? I'll make you a great nation. Now at this point in time, Abram was 75 years old and actually he was about 70 when he was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He was 75 when he left Haran. So God said to him, if you leave, I'll make you a great nation. In other words, you will have children. He had none, but he will have. I'll bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. So Abram was, Abram was 70 years old, 75 years old, had no children. He and Sarah had been married for several years, and they could not have any children. Then he said, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you and, you, and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. All the families of earth shall be blessed. And that's what we see today. Because of Abraham, we're all blessed through Christ. Because Christ came through Abraham. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and the lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and 70 years old when he departed from the Chaldeans. So Abraham was 75 years old when the Lord spoke to him. God made Abraham this promise. He said, you'll have many children at 75 years old. This promise was only fulfilled when Abraham was 100. 25 years later, that's when Isaac was born. So this promise did not happen for 25 years. But it could have happened. It could have happened when he was 75 years old. It didn't have to happen when he was 100. God had given Abraham the promise. So the ball was in his court. It was up to him to fulfill the promise, bring it to pass by speaking it. So God came to Abram again in Genesis 15 verse 5. Let's read it. Then the Lord brought Abram outside beneath the night sky and told him, Look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descents will be like that too many children to count. And Abram believed the Lord. So verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord. He had faith in what God said about him and his children. And the Lord declared him righteous because of his faith. So no one can doubt it. Abraham believed what God said, you'll have many children. Now all he had to do was say, yes, I will have many children. He had to speak it because he believed it, and it would have happened, just like Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty-three. But Abraham believed it and did not say it. 
Isaac was not born, even though Abram was a man of great faith, which means we need to apply the faith we have in order to solve the problems of life. Jesus did not say, if anyone believes, the mountain will be removed. He said, if anyone believes and says, then the mountain will be removed. We have to speak to the mountain before it will be removed. Believing is not enough. Speaking is also required. Abram believed but did not speak. There's no record of Abram ever declaring, I'm the father of many nations when he was 75 years old. It didn't happen. Abram did not use his faith. He had it, but he never used it. It is not that we do not have faith. We do have faith. We are believers, are we not? Are we believers? Yes. So we do have some faith. The Bible says in Romans 12, verse 3, that we all have a measure of faith. That's what we have from the time we're born again. We have to use the faith we have. It's just like having money in your pocket. You can have $1,000 in your pocket, and you can starve to death. You can fall over dead from starvation, of not eating for many days, with $1,000 in your pocket. And if you don't take out the $1,000 and buy some food, you're going to die. And likewise, you can have a heart full of faith. If you never speak what you believe, it's not going to happen for you. You've got to say what you believe with your mouth. God is pleased with that. He's pleased with that. Faith pleases God. Amen. Doubt does not. Doubt does not. Jesus not pleased with Thomas because he doubted. He said, why did you doubt, Thomas? Put your finger in my side, in my hand. All right. Genesis 17 and verse 1 is where we're going to stop. We're going to continue here next weekend learning from Abraham to see how he used his faith. And that's a great lesson. Don't miss it. You will be blessed tremendously. All right. Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. Thank you. How many of you today would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? How many of you need to be sure that you are going to heaven when you die? Yes, you will live forever, but where will you live? Because your body was going to die one day and your spirit will leave. Your spirit will always exist, either in hell or in heaven. And we cannot go to heaven just by trying to be good. We can never be good enough. We have to be born again. Jesus said that. He said, unless you're born again, you'll never see, the heaven, never see heaven. What does that mean? You see, when you're born again, it means that you've accepted God's life into your spirit. And your spirit is born into the life of God. So, you're born once into the family on the earth. And then you're born again the second time into the family of God. And that can only happen by accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then the life of God comes into your heart and you are saved. So if you want this life in you, it only comes through Jesus. He that has the Son has eternal life. He that does not have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So when you accept Christ into your heart and say, as your Lord and Savior, you're born into that life. You're born into that life. You see, family, all of us deserve the fires of hell. 
But Jesus, God's Son, left his throne in heaven, came to earth, born through a virgin, walked the earth as a man, and suffered our judgment in our place so that we can be forgiven. Today, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you'll accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you desire to be saved, you want to go to heaven, when I count to three, if you slip your hand up, that'll be an indication to God that you accept this and want the assurance in your heart. So if you'll raise your hand when I count to three, God will give you that confirmation and you'll know today that you are bound for heaven, that you are God's child, that you are forgiven for your sins. You'll have the assurance in your heart. Do you want it? I'm counting to three. Slip that hand up right now. Let Jesus see it while heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm looking and he's looking. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. I see those hands. Now, folks, keep those hands raised. Someone's coming to put their hands on your shoulder to let you know that Jesus loves you and we love you while we are praying. Keep your hand raised. Keep your hand raised. Thank you, workers. Now, I invite everybody here to say this little prayer with me, please. Everybody, especially those who raise their hands. Let's all say the prayer together. Dear God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus from his throne to the cross to die in my place. He took my punishment so I can be forgiven. I ask you, Lord Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Come into my heart. Save my life. Thank you, Jesus. I declare, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I am saved. I'm bound for heaven. I am forgiven. God is my Father. Praise God I'm saved. Praise God. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Fulmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.